Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Saeed Dejani, Head of Digital at Diabetes UK. Saeed has been working in digital for over a decade now and has experienced firsthand the evolution of digital and how charities have evolved their own digital offerings. We started our conversation with a look back at how digital has evolved, starting back in the early 2000s, a time where the likes of Mark Zuckerberg were unknown, where mobile phones were still just phones and websites were still a novelty. Over the past decade or so, things have changed and evolved so quickly it was a good opportunity to speak with somebody who's been immersed in these changes and sought to harness them to support several vital charities. Armed with this knowledge and experience, Saeed discusses what charities can learn about how best to approach their audience and fulfil their obligations to the causes they support in the increasingly complex world of digital. This episode is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So without further ado, here is Saeed Dejani speaking to me about the evolution of digital. I'm delighted to be joined by Saeed Dejani, Head of Digital at Diabetes UK. Welcome, Saeed, to Charity Chat. Thank you very much, Sam. It's, it's a pleasure. So we're talking today about you working at uh, Diabetes UK and, and the digital journey that Diabetes UK has been on. So if we can start, though, by talking a little bit about you, Saeed, when you first came into the charity sector and how, how you started using it and how things progressed since then. Um, yep, so I've been um, involved in digital in, in the not-for-profit sector for it's 15, 16 years, so quite a long time. Um, yeah. I think I first came across uh, digital a couple, couple of ways. Um, at the time, I'd been working with um, a bunch of mates who'd set up a, a press cut, I think they'd call it a media monitoring agency now, but a press cutting agency essentially. Yeah. And um, we would work through the night cutting up bits of newspaper and sticking them down with bits of glue and sending them off to clients and it was quite a nice little um quite a nice little learner and then um suddenly the internet started to begin to appear it was there but it was kind of you know really early days geocities kind of mad flashing websites and the newspapers i think started to realize that we were there was um, some money being made so they started to inquire about copyright and Increasingly, uh, obviously, we were the internet was beginning to to start to impact upon our business because people who would pay for these press cutting packs started to to then um, be, be able to receive kind of media reports um, uh, online, even though at that time in quite a basic way. So I think when I left that industry and then started to think around where I was going to to look next, that combined with the fact that we've we've talked about the fact that I've I'm always I've been into music and at that time I was quite keen to be a, a musician. It never worked out, but I had had a, a music review site online. And so I knew how to build a, a website or um, the basics at that time to build a website. And when I kind of decided that I was going to have a career change, um, sp- spoke to um, someone who kind of to, to give me some guidance and um, decided I didn't want to work in the private sector anymore. I didn't want to make someone else rich. Uh, <laughs> didn't want to work in the public sector. And she she was the first to say, well, look, you know, what about the charity sector? And uh, then a job at um, Action Medical Research, which is a small um, charity um, in Horsham, came up and they were looking for someone to to run their digital operations. And it was pretty much a, a one, 
one person job it was it was me and if I'm honest Sam I was kind of a bit one Google ahead of the questions you know because as <laughs> um, they had a they were quite ambitious actually they had their own effectively version of just giving on the site so yeah. there's quite a lot to learn um, yeah. quite quickly quite a lot to take on board because you were literally doing it all everything from every update on the website through to kind of um, to developing you know new features I was there for a year. I got quite lucky. I think in in we had a, a campaign. One of the areas that the charity looked at was around um, the promotion of their work on research around uh, premature babies. And they had a campaign, Stand Up for Tiny Lives. And as part of that, partly because I was a musician, I'd been browsing one of the kind of music festival kind of chat room forums. And I'd come across this guy who had recently become a father to two really very premature um, kids and with his approval kind of repurposed the, the kind of post that he put on that forum into a, a blog and it was a very quiet Christmas news Christmas that year and to my to my delight it got picked up by you know a lot of the major newspapers and we got a bong on the, the ITN news about Britain's youngest bloggers and wow. so um, I was Delighted with that. It was a great success, although the website went down, which is a, <laughs> one of the uh, one of the things that uh, always you've got to bear in mind with, with digital nowadays. You can be success can be a double edged sword. Just because it, um, it was overloaded with traffic. It was just that... overloaded with traffic, yeah. concurrent all the traffic all at the one time, essentially. So Stephen Fry is the often used example of uh, you know it's great to get him to mention you, but then beware because your website will come down very quickly. <laughs> And then I think partly on the back of that, I got a job at Alzheimer's Society and I was there for six years. And I think I suppose what I would say is that because I've been around since the kind of the earliest days when charities have been kind of using uh, the Internet, the job grew and new functions, you know, we kind of incubated new functions as things came along. So social media was was obviously one at my time at Alzheimer's Society, but also I suppose uh, Alzheimer's Society, as time went on, other functions like digital marketing, you know, became more important and in the end justified their own job. And so therefore my own role kind of became bigger over time. Had a really good time there. Kind of a couple of highlights, I suppose, was really working on their forum, which I, is still going and provides amazing support to, to people who are mainly carers, talking point their forum, but also worked on the early... Um, iterations of the their dementia friends campaign, which is now huge, um, and I think you know definitely they're in the mi- in, in the millions in terms of the amount of dementia friends that were that are now on board. But at the time, it was just an idea, and so moving really quickly from an idea, black piece of paper, into um, a website. And then for the last six seven years, I've been at Diabetes UK, and I think that's that's something that's interesting about you know, digital, which is perhaps different from some other areas, which is right from the very beginning, it became clear that, you know, it was necessary to kind of build a digital function and do all the things I did at Alzheimer's Society, incubate new roles where it was necessary. But actually, if if you're a digital lead, at most organizations, your job long term is to kind of make yourself redundant. Essentially, it's important to build dis- digital specialisms, but after a while, hoarding them, if you like, in a digital team becomes counterproductive. Sure. Um, and, you know, digital marketing should sit with the marketeers and content with the content people and insight with the insight people. And my team is largely about the platform, project management, support of um, the technology, if you like, that we've got. And I've also got like an exciting area, which is around particularly exciting in diabetes around digital health. So 
as you can see, it's changed over the years. And I think um, now Diabetes UK is in quite a strong place, I think, in terms of our digital offer, um, although there's always room for improvement, really. Looking back over the, you know, the last few years, if you and I guess it doesn't seem like that long a time in a way. You know, we're talking, I suppose, ten to fifteen years. You know, there's been in that time, there's been huge changes in digital across the board. And I guess people listening to this younger than you or I might be taking a lot of it for granted. And, and I guess I do in my day to day. But I do remember the first time that somebody mentioned this thing called Facebook. And I remember how, uh, how you know, that seemed like an odd concept. And now, like a lot of these things, it becomes just part of our DNA, part of our culture. But when you, when you look back over your, especially the first few years of working in the charity sector and doing this work, which it sounds, you know, it was kind of pioneering back then. Was it difficult to sell that into the charities that you were working for? Did the, for example, the board of trustees or senior managers, did they get it or did you have to do a lot of explaining or were you learning as you went i think there's a bit of a latter and i think it's not you know it's 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 never it's never going to be all ups it's ups and downs isn't it and um i've been i've you know i've benefited from some very good managers in in that time have helped kind of guide me through some of that because as you say it can become effectively quite political not not least um maybe less so nowadays but um certainly about five six years ago you know the big the big debate was between digital and it and what's the difference between them and there were many charity it departments who seemed to to think that that digital was actually just it was something that they did and yet they didn't really get how it was different and it's focus on on users and what users wanted as opposed to just pieces of technology so certainly there's 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 been political elements about that because i do think digital is a particular specialism and it is based upon you know our focus on ux and user behavior is is something that is distinct i think from it although there's lots that we can learn from traditional it so in terms of its its prominence now i mean the last year if there was any resistance to the fact that digital is of importance to all organizations that has now gone and the last year has meant that we're beginning to think in digital terms about everything not just say in a traditional charity setup about our fundraising and our services but actually just the way that we communicate and at the very least whether it's use of audiovisual technology and and hopefully more we're beginning to understand some of the benefits of this this revolution in terms of you know, picking up on those things and which to run with. Um, I can't say that was all me. I mean, one of the, the really great things has been, I've had some great people work for me. And, you know, particularly when I think about Facebook, I can think of one guy in particular who was like, Saeed, we need to have a Facebook account. And I was like, really? And at the time, I thought it was just the way that, you know, a certain cohort of students talk to each other and, and little would we know. Having said that, you know, uh, you can't spread yourself too thin and um, you could be on every platform and um, trying to think about every channel. So there is a strategic side to it about where you place your investments and that's people as much as anything else. In terms of digital, it strikes me that there is, it, things are kind of evolving all the time with digital, maybe more so than any other medium of 
communication that charities may be used to. And, and does that pose problems in terms of if you're working digital? Are you, are you having to upskill or learn more than colleagues who may be working in other areas of a charity? Or as you say, it's, it's becoming a, kind of a, a skill that's being used by every member of a charity, I suppose, in one way or another. Yeah, I suppose what you can't be anymore is an expert in everything. So, you know, that the generalist approach, which maybe, you know, back when I've when I started in this area, you know, was was needed. So therefore that kind of focus on on reliant on really good people. Things are moving very quickly. Some of the areas are extremely complicated. Some of the areas around information governance and you know, and the right way to do digital marketing and what people ex expect from you as an organization, particularly a third sector organization, is becoming a bigger part of my my role. I, I work alongside great uh, digital content people and they, under, you know, they understand better than I ever could have done as a generalist, the best way to get content out. Search engine optimization, making sure that you know, content is is optimized for search, particularly for us charities, where so much of our our kind of traffic is going to come from from people typing in queries into Google, uh, specialisms in terms of insight and the way that we gather insights as as digital professionals, so it's become more specialised, more fragmented in terms of if you're going to start a career nowadays, you know you're probably going to be thinking you know am I going to go down the marketing route or digital project management or even you know, development itself. And and I think in a way, um, I think that's right and that's proper and that's always was always going to happen. But I, I think I kind of do do miss the generalists. Yeah. <laughs> Probably there's less and less jobs available for people like me who are generalists. But <laughs> I know that a lot of our listeners are from smaller charities and may have um one person working digital as, as you were when you started out or, or may not even have a person designated to learning and, and having knowledge of digital is there a is there a metric uh, or or some way of kind of learning how to do it or learning what could work for your charity or is it a case of trial and error no, I think you need to approach it in kind of quite a strategic approach. I think there'll be very, like we kind of discussed this, there'll be very few organisations I think who shouldn't be making some kind of investment in this area, however small. I think in many ways, sometimes um, if if the smaller charities, and, you know, obviously actually medical research wasn't a huge charity, but I understand what you're talking about. It's, you know, the one person kind of banned essentially. There are many advantages in that, the ability to move quickly, nimbly, you know, all of these words that we use, agile, you know, within digital, sometimes are not that easy when you've got a big old beast of an organization that you're kind of, which is a bit more like a, a, a liner, to, you know, to turn around. So you can move quicker, you, you can spot opportunities and move towards them. I think um, there's something about if I was in that situation, really reaching out to your, your volunteer base and finding out people for whom your cause is their cause and and really you know making the most of their experience because it is quite a, a fast moving area and unfortunately there are you know there are kind of sharks in the water there are organizations you know frankly have set up um, products aimed at, at small charities which i probably would not advise them to use you know so so even, you know, things like we touched upon information governance, you know, how the type of marketing that you do, you know, all of this requires 
um, decisions and documenting decisions. Mm. So it's it's um, not for the faint-hearted, but I think unfortunately it can't it can't be avoided. I think that you know even something which is really a, a charity that's you know almost entirely face to face. I don't know if I think about the hospice that looked after my mother. They still raise money online. They still need to to build that engagement with people, and they still and and actually did some great services online. You know, mm. delivering in terms of um, support for me and my family during that time. So, I don't know if it can't be ignored. You've got to find someone to help to volunteer to help you do it, and and really as well. And this is for all charities, but also to get that experience on board in terms of your board of trustees. Um, I think that's essential. In terms of trustees and the demographics that are typically trustees, that doesn't necessarily chime with the idea of young people who are using technology all the time. But we, I mean, I know from my own, uh, my assumptions have been blown apart by Zoe Amar, who uh, we spoke to a few months ago about digital and that she was saying that, of course, everybody is using digital. And of course, I, I've seen this myself. My father um, is a kind of, a, I don't think he'd mind me saying, an older gentleman, and he's using digital more than ever. And I guess the COVID-19 pandemic has expedited his uh, desire and need to learn more digital. But where can you find the trustees that might, is it, is it, a, is it a, a, a knowledge thing or do you think it's a personality thing, the trustees that are willing to explore new things or, or trustees that have got expertise in uh, digital themselves? What, where do you think the priority lies if you're looking for trustees to help you develop your digital so ideally, I think there's, they've had some experience themselves. Not, you know, it could have been digital exposure via, you know, the industry they work in. It's not necessarily that they're digital specialists themselves. Um, I think, uh, you know, you touched upon age. There is something there. So I, don't, I think, you know, we have tended to recruit, um, you know, uh, trustees from their experience, sometimes life experience, and that means that you you can lose out on, you know, some of the brighter young things who are perfectly up for volunteering for an organisation as, as, a, as a trustee. I, I do think, like most organisations I've been involved with, you know, that there are people who are passionate about them, and they're, and, and if, it, if their cause is your cause, you can utilise their specialisms um, you know, effectively and um, ideally when it came to a kind of a trustee digital trustee kind of role they would have had some some wider experience but ultimately it would be better to have um, a digital native on board by which you know someone who's grown up with all of this as and can't imagine a world without it then none if only to to open you know the eyes of of uh, other board members but also maybe not just you know stereotype older people to, you know too much as you've talked about your father i mean digital is really interesting to, to get digital engagement from from people um, we're at this situation in the country where, you know, we're probably down to about nine, ten percent who are still what we would call, you know, digitally excluded, um, and um, and that's a real issue, especially uh, during the pandemic when uh, many services, government services, have moved kind of directly online, and it's probably the hard ten percent that we're now kind of dealing with. But there is nothing kind of more joyful than seeing somebody who had previously thought that this technology is not for them find that one thing that it is um, and it might be you know speaking to uh, to grandkids in Australia or you know it might be 
um, finding that there are others there with your own, you know, peculiar interest in a particular hobby. Once you find it, then pe- you, you know people will will run with it and will move away from the mentality, which I think stops a lot of kind of older people really making the most of the internet, which is this idea that they need to understand everything about a computer, you know, before it. Um, it it's the mentality about you know I wouldn't drive a car if I didn't know how to to mend the engine. Actually, in our world nowadays, we don't you know we don't really understand the ins and outs of our our laptop or how the internet is. Um, architected or you know some of us will do but some of us won't Mm. so so it's kind of there's it's a really interesting time I think the pandemic has been particularly and I'm not the first kind of digital lead to say this I think um, Lara who's um, a digital lead at the the scouts um, talked about digital transformation by pandemic and you know many of the things that we thought would take a long long time have happened very very quickly now, there's not to sit on our laurels. There's a lot more to be done. There's still massive over-reliance on email. And mm. However, there's been massive benefits for us as an organization. You know, we have uh, offices in the four nations. If I'm really honest, you know, before we sit in our offices in Wells Lawrence House in, in Whitechapel, and, you know, we had audiovisual capability and people could be piped in from Wales or if they were homeworking, but were they really part of the meetings? Were they, mm. and they weren't. And and I'm reflecting this now, you know, in terms of even my own behaviours in those meetings and thinking about not really involving people. That doesn't happen anymore. There's a real um, leveller. In many ways in our organisation, I think there's been more engagement, you know, from senior leadership with staff. We're all facing the same things, internet connections that are going down, kids who, who need, you know, depending what their ages are, you know, need looking after it's it's a really interesting time and i don't think i don't like the phrase the new normal but i don't think it will things will will revert just back um there's going to be a mixed economy and hope we will retain some of the benefits and not to say that there's some kind of downsides and fatigue and all of the rest of things that we're all feeling but i hope we will retain some of the benefits from all of this because you know, if I think about it and, um, you know, I loved our office and I loved working with our people, but the idea of, of struggling on a northern line every day yeah, um, I'm with you. in order yeah. to go. And I'm kind of like, why do we do that? Yeah. Um, and I still would want to do that. But whether I'd want to or feel the need to do that five days a week, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly on, on a personal note, I'm, I'm uh, equally keen. I'm, I'm, you know, like like everyone working from home and. I'm, I suppose I consider myself a bit of an extrovert, so I do feed off the energy of others. And I have found that in, in the fundraising that I do as well, we've certainly struggled a little bit to um, raise the funds from the types of face-to-face activities by going online. It might just be that we're not doing it well enough or that technology will evolve so we can do that better. But I do wonder, and for myself as well, whether you'll ever be able to fully compensate for... Um, not being face to face and having no, a you're right. way of doing it. And 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 even actually in terms of the, you know, management styles or whatever. I mean I, I'm not a big one I you, I think you'd already seen for sending, you know, for emails and I'd much pro you know uh, rather prefer just have a quick chat with someone. That that's not easy, you know, in this so what do you do? You know, it's it's all about meeting invites and and who's mm-hmm. there. However that's a culture piece as well. You know, that technology doesn't have to be a meeting. It could be just um, using a chat function or whatever it might be. Um, so I think 
Um, fundraising piece is really interesting. I, I think, you know, we at Diabetes UK have felt the same pressures of other, you know, other organisations and big events cancelled. And I think one of the things that has held us in good stead through that has been investment prior to the pandemic in what we call mass participation events. So the the events that people effectively, they organise themselves. So we've got um, a million step challenge and Swim 22, where you swim the length of the channel in your pool. And and I know a lot of organisations have looked at these in um, in in haste, if you like, with the with the pandemic. But these were uh, at least for us established products. Um, and on the services side of things, you know, similarly, I think partly because of the amount of people who got diabetes, we always knew that digital was going to be a route in order to try and get real reach within that community. When you're talking about millions. And so therefore we've we we've made big investments in learning zone which is our e-learning platform our online forum our, our content provision in general and have you seen use of these going up during the pandemic massively yeah, yeah. so i think um i don't know the exact figures but as we've we've raised um over over a million now on a million step challenge wow. swim 22 was more impacted because um the on and off closure of sure, um, pools and yeah of pools and stuff but in terms of actually our our website and this is because of the unfortunate and still to be understood link between diabetes and and covid mm. um we have a population you know who were as confused as everyone else in terms of some of the guidance that came out about should they be shielding should they not be shielding right. and the team had done an amazing job to try and keep on top of you know what the guidance is and in fact, only yesterday we we're, we're, we're calling on you know the governments to expand shielding to a wider selection of people um, if they want it um, um, within the diabetes community. So, you know, because of that unfortunate link between COVID and diabetes, we're, we're at the centre of the storm. I mean, another example I think of that would be so there's been for a while we've been partners with the NHS NHS England in in something called the Diabetes Prevention Programme, and it, that used to be if you were thought to be at risk of diabetes, you'd go to your GP and they'd signpost you and it would be an intervention around kind of um, eating better and taking more exercise um, to try and sort your risk of type 2 diabetes. Mm. Um, and because those GP appointments aren't happening, the, the NHS England have turned to us and we've got a, a fabulous tool um, uh, called the Know Your Risk tool which asks six or seven questions and will give you a, your risk of type two diabetes, but it's actually been used to, if you're at higher risk, um, to refer on to the program because um, people can't meet their GP face to face. So, you know, some of the investments that we've made in the past, I suppose is what I'm saying is coming good. I guess no one obviously knows how long the pandemic is going to go on for, but when we come out of the side of it, are you, are you, your plans taking a view that digital is not only here to stay, but it's, it's going to grow even further? Or, or do you think that people, there's going to be a backlash of people going to suddenly turn off the, um, the Facebook accounts? All of the above, Sam, all of the above. Yeah. And it depends who you are and what time you talk. I mean, it's, you know, the same, same with me. Sometimes I've just had enough of it all. And, um, and I'm uh, tired of all of this. I think there's some things that 
no, they, they, you know, they're, they're here to stay. And I think the, the trick for lots of people who are, who are in organisations is now to, to begin to scan the future and to try and work out which of those changes are going to stick and which aren't. So we talked about, for example, commuting and travelling. I don't think it's going to be an either or, but I can see a, I can see a trend where there'll be more acceptance of flexible working and um, working from home and a, and a mixed economy and organisations being more open to that. That has huge impact, obviously, then you, you begin to think about our city centres and, and what that might mean. There's whole kind of areas where you can begin to start to kind of try and play out how will the future pan out. We, we've done some really interesting work at, at Diabetes UK trying to build kind of scenarios of what different futures might look like in there and mm. how we as an organisation would play through those, mm. which is really interesting work. And, and it kind of gets you in that space where you start to think, well, actually, you know, nothing is impossible. So what would Diabetes UK look like if this happened or this happened? I think um, I'm, I'm not going to say what I, you know, what I think the future will be. I think that would be foolhardy. But there, I think it's all of our, our jobs now to just begin to now to think in terms of the short term and the short to medium term and longer term, what of these changes are, are going to stick around and will affect, you know, in our case, the way we raise money, the way we deliver services, all of the above, you know. Said Dejani, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Well, look, thank you. I really enjoyed it. big thank you then to Saeed Dejani for sharing his knowledge and insights with us here at Charity Chat. We've had a few conversations now about digital over the last few uh, months, and I'm sure we'll be having many more over the next weeks, months and years. But speaking with Saeed, I was reminded that this is an area of change, growth and innovation, and charities have the chance to exploit this now to find novel ways of engaging with their audience, who, from the sounds of it, are using digital more than ever. And at the very least, all charities need to recognise that their audience is likely to be using digital in a variety of ways. And this is likely to increase too. Charities should be putting time and resource into understanding their audience and finding the digital platforms and channels most suitable for them. Of course, this is all very easy to say, but it really relies on digital coming into leadership. Charities need leaders with the required knowledge and expertise and energy to explore digital and the courage to test and learn something new. It's about finding a digital trustee, not an AI, but an actual person with digital skills and getting them on board, the board. With the challenges we all face at the moment, will digital be the dividing line between the effective and the redundant charities of the future or those with or without the financial ability to explore it? Or will it be the light that guides us out of the analogue darkness? Digital has given grandparents, isolated in their houses during the pandemic, the chance to see their grandkids through digital platforms like Zoom and WhatsApp. Charities have found and stepped up to the challenge of finding alternative ways to supporting their beneficiaries throughout the isolation, stress and anxiety caused by the pandemic. Aside from using digital to continue to exist, do charities have an increased ability and responsibility to harness this new digital community of users to do something bigger than ever and to take us closer to the reality of a fairer society for all? One thing is certain, the world we live in today has had to embrace digital in a way never expected 12 months ago. 
it sounds likely that the truth of this statement will continue long into the future, whenever you happen to be listening to this episode. I hope that this has helped to inspire you to step back from your day-to-day and think about what you can do to embrace digital, reach out to engage your supporters, maybe even a wider supporter group than ever before, and progress your charity's work as part of the move towards a better world. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. If you like this episode, I'm sure you're going to go back and like other digital episodes we've done, including 113 with Zoe Amar, 107 with Lizzie Zipser. There are many others as well, so do go back and have a listen to those. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Charity People, for enabling us to share insights, expertise and best practice across our sector. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. And Forrester Fools who have been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Cheerio. Bye-bye.